When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and welcome to another episode of Unchained with Patrick Royce. And Patrick, it's gotten so bad that I spent uh, Saturday and Sunday raking the yard. Yes, you did. And I've got blisters to prove it, Pat. And a very nice fella who uh, <laughs> brought you over a six-pack of red stripe, pounded on the door, and all he could hear or get a response from was the dog, who was very upset that uh, My bad. This, guy, this guy was outside the door. But uh, I, I never, I never suspected you were doing yard work. So <laughs> I, just, uh, I figured you might have been on a long walk with the bride or something because it was such a gorgeous day. Man, it was a beautiful weekend. Would have been a great weekend for ball. And oh. I saw Phil Miller pointed out that the Giants would be, if we were playing, would be in target field for the first time. Mm-hmm. I, I did not realize that they were the only team that hadn't been here. The team that almost came here in what? 58? 58, yeah. They were, St. Louis uh, Park, right? Yeah, they were going to build their own ballpark out by, uh, of course, Mets. That had, that had happened earlier because Mets Stadium, that was being talked about in the early 50s. They owned that land. They bought that land uh, with the idea. The original idea was to build a new ballpark for the minor league team, but make it expandable. Yep. So, uh, but then uh, they, uh, they, uh, you know, then they, the, but the, uh, it was hot and heavy once we built Met Stadium that the Giants might come here. But then Walter O'Malley had a better idea. Horace, you take San Francisco, which is a nice little town that has some interest in baseball, and I'll take Los Angeles and have the greatest gold mine in the history of sports. So, uh, once again, Horace got out shuffled by Walter O'Malley, but, uh, Worked out for uh, everybody, and uh, we uh, had to wait only, uh, what, three years? Not that long, yeah. 61. Do you realize that when the Milwaukee Braves Mm -hmm. came to Milwaukee in 1953, that put the total number of towns with Major League Baseball at 11? Wow. You had uh, three in New York, two in St. Louis. Two in Chicago. Yep. Two in Philadelphia and two in Boston. So what was what do you think the thinking was having two teams in Philadelphia and St. Louis? Well, when they first started it was travel, basically. The Pacific Coast League, there was a Pacific Coast League and they were like their own major league. They didn't you know, they didn't care. I think if you go back and look there's some seasons when they played 190 games. Oh, you're kidding because, me. Because of the weather. 
They just played all year, and it was up and down the West Coast, mm-hmm. and it was like, like this foreign land. And then in the American Association, of course, uh, which uh, we were in all those years, was the Midwest League, but we were never considered to be outposts that could support Major League Baseball. That all changed when they went to, went to Milwaukee and drew 2 million people, and they said, this is pretty good. So, uh, And by the time the Twins... In a decade, they went from 11 cities. I think we were the 17th. I, okay. I, I, I think we were the 17th. See, because, you know, as soon as the, you know, the A's rapidly moved to Kansas City, uh, St. Louis moved east. You know, the St. Louis Browns moved to Baltimore. I think that was 54. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they moved the same year as the Brewers, as the Braves, but I don't think so. I think they moved in 54. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they actually were going to they everybody they Bill Veck owned that team and he was gonna move it to where the heck was it? And they didn't they didn't give him approval. He and uh and they make him they basically made him sell to Baltimore and uh, rather than move to wherever he was gonna move. Maybe it was Baltimore. Maybe he wanted to move the team to Baltimore, and then uh, they, but they basically didn't give him permission because they wanted to get rid of him. They didn't like those wacky promotions. Dang it! And he owned how many teams then, Pat? The White Sox twice, the Browns. He owned the White Sox twice and the Indians, and of course, uh, he had to sell the Indians. Uh, you know, 1948, they became the first ever team to draw two million people. Cleveland, and it was, you know, they had great teams, and. But he had to sell because of a divorce. His uh, first wife was uh, divorcing him. <laughs> yeah, and, I believe that. Wanted half. And uh, and so basically that's why he had to sell the Indians and then ended up with the Browns, which was a bad trade for a fellow. No, no doubt about that because I don't think, you know, I'm not smart enough to know, but I don't think there was ever a period where the Browns weren't the poor cousins, you know. I, it, it, the, the the difference between the Cardinals and the Browns was always greater than, for instance, the Red Sox and the Braves, or, or you know, the or the A's and the Phillies. In fact, the A's, I think the A's were the kings of uh, Philadelphia for a long time, of course, and then and then somebody had to go eventually there. But yeah, it's a, you go back and look at it, it's a it's astounding. I mean, when they uh, when Milwaukee got baseball. Our arch rivals, Wisconsin. Yep. When Milwaukee got baseball, we were excited. <laughs> we were happy. We went down there, you know, mom and dad and the three kids would get in the station wagon to go down there and pony it up and stay in a hotel for eight bucks and uh, buy tickets for two fifty and be really excited. Did you go? I once got on a bus as about a ten year old kid in Fairmont and went the Fairmont radio station did Braves games. Yep. And they were sending a bus and my old man got me a seat on the bus and I bust over to County Stadium. I, I was the only by myself. I was the only, uh, you know, there's some other kids. At about 10. Yeah. <laughs> went over with the, with over the delegation from Fairmont. It probably was about hell. I might not have been 10 cause it was 54 or five. And I was, you know, my birthday was in October, so it might have been I might have been nine. But yeah, I mean, the old man, I, I wanted to see the Braves because on in the afternoon they played a lot of afternoon games because of you know groups coming 
in that wanted to then get on the, you know, they'd get on the bus at six in the morning and you'd, you know, and they wanted to come back. They didn't want to, they had just bus loads of people coming from all over the Midwest. So they played a lot of afternoon games and we used to be able to get the Fairmont station uh, in Fulda on, on, in the afternoon, but not at night. In fact, they might've been assigned and they might've signed off. I don't know. They might've been one of those. Daytimer. Uh, uh, yeah, it might have been a daytimer, but uh, yeah, we uh, we we were big in the Braves. They had two great announcers too, uh, Earl Gillespie and Blaine Walsh. Back in the days when you just had professional announcers, but they were uh, they were rather famous, and uh, that that changed that changed the uh, the whole concept of uh, of baseball when uh, when people flocked to County Stadium. Of course, their first year there. They were just a little over 500, you know, but they had Matthews and Aaron and Spahn, and then they got Burdett. And I mean, they were great. They were, they were, you know, they were, they never had a losing. They were in Milwaukee 13 years and never had a losing season. Who owned them? Do you remember? Yeah, Lou Perini. And he moved them out of Boston. And then uh, Milwaukee, the attendants, you know, they spoiled them with attendants, and the attendants started to slip. And but basically, TV was starting to have an impact, and uh, he moved and TV and radio rights, and he moved to Atlanta, and you know became the team of the South, because before that, the team of the South was the St. Louis Cardinals, all across, yeah. Yeah. all across the South, all those radio stations uh, from Louisiana to North Carolina had the the KMOX network, Cardinals network was enormous enormous i mean just you know throughout the south uh it was it was cardinals and uh cardinals were they, your team too right yeah well because of kmx i could listen to them at all you know you could listen to them they had the big booming 50 50 000 watt signal and and it folded that came in as as easily as wccos mm. the you know kmx 11 Eleven what thirty? Was it eleven? No, not eleven thirty. Eleven twenty, maybe. Eleven twenty, like I think. That. Yeah, yeah, that sounds but right. It was. I mean, it was like you know, it was. They were broadcasting from Worthington. You know, it was great. It was a clear signal, and it was. Uh, you know, I listened to them every night. So that was that, that was Jack Buck, Harry Carey, and Garagiola. Yeah, Jack Buck was the third stringer. Uh, Harry and uh, Garagiola were the normal team, but if one of them was missing. Or they thought they'd work. Harry was on a bender. Yeah, Jack Buck was the backup. Yeah, and then Harry got fired because of, uh, I believe it was (laughs) Gussie Bush's daughter-in-law that Harry had a little bit of a fling with and cost him his job. That's around the time that that Harry got hit by the car in the freeway, right? Hit by the car. Yeah, he was was, that woman, I believe, Mm -hmm. that he was visiting, (laughs) and, and his retelling was. Earl's ex, Earl Weaver's ex-wife, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. But I, that's what he, he told me. I, I got a column of my archives that's fantastic from my St. Paul days on Harry. That uh, that he got. He's, it's raining, and he used to. I think it was the Chase Hotel, and he had a key to get the back door, so he'd meet his uh, young ladies at the you know that he he hustle up. And he'd just come in the back door and go up. But he, he parked across the street, and it was that it's down there by the river in St. Louis. You know that big wide highway. Yep. But it wasn't as wide then, but it was four lanes, and it was a rainy night, and he was scampering across there. He moved fast when there was a, a lady waiting, and uh, he got hit by a cab, 
and uh, the guy, uh, and, you know, and he always said, the cab driver looked up and said, it could be, it might be, it is Harry Carey. <laughs> and he, I mean, he broke both legs. Yeah. And, uh, and he got he got the beat, hell beat out of him. And the other part of the story, I don't know if this is true or not, is so he's along. I think this is like right at the end of the season, whatever year it was. And so he's got this long recuperation and uh, he's spring training. He's, you know, getting wheeled up to the the booth to do his games and stuff. And, and then they're going to – and then he uh, walks – Opening day, they have him. I think they're having him. I don't know. They're honoring him because he damn near died and bled to death. And and he gets out there and with his crutches, and then he throws the first one away, and he throws the second one away, and he starts walking around, and the crowd goes nuts. And and, uh, and Harry was uh, Harry was Harry was back. Uh, you, he, I'm sure you doubt that Harry would. Uh, would show some showmanship on that. Yeah, I'm shocked by that story. Oh, yeah. He was a beauty. I'd love to know how, how the year went that Harry worked for Charlie Finley in Oakland. That, that's that oh, got to be the greatest. Man. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they got along great, don't you think? I but, would think uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I just don't think he, you know, he didn't like freezing to death and, you know, in Oakland and where with a second team in town, you know, although they were good. I mean, were they good when he went? Uh, no, was, not yet, I don't think. Right around the time they started to get good, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then uh, and then he, but he had a chance to go to Chicago, and he wasn't going to pass that up. I've, I've told this before, but I'll never forget when he, the White Sox fire him and the Cubs hire him about three days later, and I get him at the pump room. They take, I call the pump room to, is Harry in there having lunch? And they said, yes. And I said, tell him Patrick Ricey wants to talk to him from Minneapolis. I mean, he just knew I was Pat from Minneapolis. I'm sure he didn't know my life. So they take the phone to the, back in the days of, you see in the old Hollywood movies, they take the phone to the phone booth, uh, to the to the uh, booth that he's in, and they plug it in. Plug it in, yeah. Plug it in. And I interviewed him there, and that's what he gave me the quote. Joe McConnell couldn't sell a Budweiser to a man crawling across the Sahara on his oh. belly or something <laughs> like that. He couldn't, he couldn't sell a Budweiser to a guy dying of thirst in the Sahara. He said something like that. So anyway, it uh, all worked out for Harry. Announcer trash talk. We need more of it. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah. Harry, yeah, we do. Harry was the greatest. Oh, he was. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, he, you know, he's, the Cubs won a little bit when he was there, but uh, he covered up a lot of their sins, oh. no doubt about it. Partially because he'd rip them and it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, right. there there was none of this homer. I mean, he was, but he'd kill them, too, if they didn't play well. Which oh, yeah. Didn't. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he didn't care. I mean, him and Pearsall is the greatest announcing team in the history of sports because uh, they were both nuts. You know, when Harry's the sane member of the booth, uh, that's, uh, that's quite a, what was your line to Harry in the Met stadium press box? Uh, when, when with Pearsall, Stu, yeah. Stu Thornley <laughs> was crawling up the left field foul pole. And I went over there and opened up the booth and said, Harry, get Pearsall back in the booth. <laughs> and about two minutes later, Pearsall comes 
charging into the press box, you're going to beat the crap out of me. He didn't like jokes about him being insane, even though he was insane. <laughs> that game still, that the, oh, in what, greatest, June probably, of 77? Yeah, my greatest be, regret in life is that I wasn't old enough to go to that game. Yeah. Well, 1912, right? Wasn't it 1912? Was that the score? Yeah, I think I think that's 19 right. 12. Glenn yeah. Adams had eight eight RBI. And eight nobody RBIs, cared. Nobody cared. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was the greatest. Well, I think it might be. It's one of the biggest regular season crowds in Met Stadium history, too. For some, you know, just for some reason, everybody showed up that day. It was a gorgeous day. It was Jersey Day, right? Crew jerseys. I think they were giving yeah, away. Yeah, probably, probably something like that. It was. Uh, it was rocking and rolling, I'll tell you that. And uh, and a lot of uh, uh, bare-chested lads and halter-topped gals uh, wandering around there who uh, who knew that when Rod Carew came up, they were supposed to give up, give a standing oh, oh and beyond that, they were there for the beer. <laughs> that was, was the Kicks fa- fan base, basically, Pat. Oh, it was. It was, that was the, the Kicks, Kicks fan base. base. There's no doubt about it. Let's yeah. see here. Yeah. Yeah, I think well, you're right. That was, that was Kicks primetime. You got to remember yep. that. And this, you know, for the Twins to once again capture the fancy of the Twin Cities uh, youth was uh, pretty amazing in 77. But that team was hard not to love. June 26th of 77. And you're yeah. exactly right. 19 to 12, the Twins beat the White Sox. <laughs> wow. God. And probably about 320, huh? No. Yeah, 313, which back 313. in 77. How long would. How long did uh, fifteen fourteen take us uh, last year? Five hours, right? Something at, uh, like that. Yeah. At Target Field five oh three. It was after midnight. They announced forty six four sixty three for attendance at the Met that day. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, they were. A lot of them didn't make it in until about the third inning. You know, it was. It was one of those. 15,000 walk-ups, you know, type of thing. Crew, four for five, scored five runs, drove in six, and walked oh. one, so six oh. at-bats. What was he hitting at the end, does it say? Uh, let me see here. Yes, four, 403 at the end of that 403, day. because he got up to 406. He must have made it out there at the end. You gotta, I remember him getting up to 406, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Addy, Addy knocks in eight, and uh, nobody uh, – Nobody, uh, nobody paid any attention. He was a great guy too. Well, he's, was he? he was the Dodgers pitching coach for a while now. You know, he was that. His nickname was Hit and Bitch. Those were the two things he could do best. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody <laughs> called him Hit and Bitch. <laughs> oh, that's great. I don't even know if we. I don't think we. I don't think I ever used that in print. But uh, back then, I could have. I don't. Know I was going to say in St. Paul, you could have definitely gotten oh, that one God. through. Yeah, could have been a lead. Wouldn't have been. Uh, wouldn't have been a problem at all. Yeah, but the poor guy drives in eight runs. Nobody gives a damn. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was fantastic. So I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Is as we have virus uh, paranoia here, does anybody is anybody concerned? that every street in the Twin Cities is being repaired by construction guys who are out there standing next to each other, sweating and breathing hard, and uh, you can't go anywhere in Minneapolis without running into streets being repaired everywhere. Uh, what? Don't, I, we're, we're, we're not worried about filling potholes as essential work then, right? Okay, you know what? I guess. 
God bless them. This is the time to do it. I'm perfectly happy if they're going yes. to do it now. Let them do it now. I'd much but, prefer that to them coming back out when we're all trying to drive around, hopefully, in a month. Yes, well, it's been great for traffic. There's no doubt the pandemic has been great for traffic. Downtown, but I, do you could... find it, I do find it hilarious. Yeah. I saw a bunch of them today uh, kind of standing there thinking, you know, can we – can we get another hour out of fixing this hole or do we have to go find a new one? You know, <laughs> you know, and there's about four of them sitting there looking at the, whatever patchwork they're doing. And, uh, I, I just find it humorous that, uh, we, uh, we're not, uh, we won't let two kids play horse in a Minneapolis park, but, uh, on the street next to them, we can have 14 guys in a 30 foot area. Fix them all now, baby. Get them all huh? fixed now. Yes. Get out of my way after that. No, I'm for it. Uh, Shula, do you, uh, you, you, you probably, you never got to deal with Shula. No, no. In fact, he retired, he retired when I was probably a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was, uh, yeah, he did, you know, he didn't coach beyond what early sixties, maybe. So, I mean, like age wise. Yeah. He's probably been done for over for 25 years. Hey Pat, did Jimmy Johnson replace him? In Miami after Jimmy left the Cowboys? I don't know. Right? Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I was. Uh, I, I saw I your tweet. This. I saw your tweet. I, I started out. I mean, it was Dave Craig. Dave Craig was one of the most amazing stories in football history. Uh, the K R E I G yep. went to Milton College, which no longer exists, a town of 5,000 over in uh, eastern Wisconsin. And uh, it, it, in fact, he got. He got signed as an undrafted free agent in 1980, and the school folded two years later. It went out of business. But I read something about his bio that when he showed up as a freshman at Milton, he was their seventh team quarterback <laughs> when he started. Really? And, and and the first six apparently had some flaws because by like the fourth game he was playing and he threw some touchdowns, but he had a hell of a career. He ended up playing over a decade and uh, as, as a guy out of this college. But that team went to uh, Denver. I looked him up. The C, it was the Seahawks' eighth season, their first playoff team. Chuck Knox was coaching them. And uh, they beat Denver 31-7. to That was Elway's rookie year, and he and Steve DeBerg were kind of alternating as quarterback. And uh, Elway actually came in uh, into that, didn't start that game. Steve DeBerg started that game. But they, Seattle had a great defense, and they kicked the crap out of them. And then they went down to, to uh, Miami, and Miami was – it was it, the, Miami was like a number one seed or number two seed. They had the same record as uh, as uh, Pittsburgh. I looked it up, twelve and four, mm-hmm. and uh, and or no, maybe the same record as Oakland. They had the same record as L- the L.A. Raiders. They had the same record as the L.A. Raiders, eight, twelve and four. And but they got to play the wild card, and even though they were the two seed, and and L.A. Raiders played. Pittsburgh, the three seed, even though they were the one seed, which I don't understand how that worked. But anyway, yeah, Seattle went down there and beat him, and boy, that was a that was a kick in the ass. And Shula was Shula was a little. I, I what I remember is going to his post game press conference, and he was 
angry man, man. You could not. It was like trying to ask Belichick a good question. There was no chance. He was no answer, huh? Up. He would no. He thought he was going to the Super Bowl with mm. Marina and that team, and then uh, Seattle got whipped pretty good by the LA Raiders, who then went and won the Super Bowl against who? Eighty three. Who'd they beat? Have to look. Would they be mad? Where's I'm Manny? not Manny. I was just Manny. gonna. I was just Come gonna on, volunteer. Declan. It's a podcast. He's not listening. We can't find him. Come on, Declan. So eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah, with eighty four game. Did they beat the Redskins? They beat the Redskins. I think that's right. I think that's right. But I, they beat Theismann in Tampa, right? I can confirm in one second here. That sounds yeah, right. They beat yeah because in eighty they beat the at Oakland Raiders they beat the Eagles in the Superdome. Yeah, that's right. In 83, they beat, yeah, but everybody thought, uh, you know, they. I think Washington was favored in that game. I remember Theismann throwing an interception early in that game. I, my favorite Super Bowls I ever covered were the ones that had the Raiders in them because them boys could fill up a notebook. They were all lunatics. It was great. And they loved that stuff, right? Oh, God, they, they didn't. There was no attempt by the Raiders uh, Davis's PR guys or anybody to shield anybody from anything. <laughs> they weren't standing there trying <laughs> they, to block no, you from getting a good quote. They anything they wanted to. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, brilliant. Lester Hayes, who stuttered like crazy, you know. Yep. But you'd had to wait for him. He'd get very upset if you tried to help him out. But he was hysterical when he when he finally got to his point, and uh, they were all like nuts. You know, it was. Uh, he's, and he's the one that hit Sammy White, right? And uh, knocked his helmet off? Was that Hayes? Probably. I think he, it was Lester yeah, Hayes. Think, oh, Hayes was. He's in the, He's got to be in the Hall of Fame, doesn't he? He was fantastic. He'd be thrown out of the league now, Pat. Oh, yeah. He, well, they they had a bunch of them. I mean, they would. They would. Jack Tatum was the worst. You know, he was. Jack Tatum's a guy that. Who's see. who's the one? Who's the one that had him cut his finger off so he could keep playing? Was that that was Ronnie Lott for San Francisco? Ronnie Lott, Ronnie Lott from San Francisco. I don't think that's happening anymore. You know, if if we came into the uh, uh, locker room and noticed somebody was missing a finger, and the Viking said, "Well, he's such a he's such a warrior, we cut it off." I don't think it would be the. I don't think he would be honored like he is. No, like they were. No, we would not see see that as a great step. Uh, And it it (laughs) was Tatum who hit White in the Super Bowl and knocked his head off. So yeah, yeah, Hayes was Hayes was physical, (laughs) but not that good. Yeah, Larani. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were all nuts back then. The cheap shots are amazing. Hey, I wanted to uh, one thing. I I wrote down a note. Labelle had a, we did this thing last week in the strip. Readers wanted stories, you know, anything to fill space, I guess. Yep. And Labelle did a piece about the Eric Fox home run. Yes. And it reminded me again, I covered the World Series that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not the World Series, All-Star Game that year in San Diego. And uh, uh, it was played on July 14th. And... Uh, I, I, this was when you could go down on the field and watch BP, you know. Yep. Uh, during this is pre-game BP, not not the day before BP. It's it's pre-game BP, and I'm down there, and Fergosi's managing the Phillies and coaching the National League, and he waves me over, and he said, "Everyone I talk to says that club of yours is playing better. That this is a 
better team than they won the World Series with last year. They're playing better. Mm-hmm. You, they never give away a run. Their 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 fielding is the best anybody's ever seen. Smiley's great uh, replacing Morris. The pitching's good. That club they, and and I looked it up. They were, you know, they were they weren't a great. They didn't start great, but they they were eighteen and they'd won eighteen out of twenty two going into that uh, that All Star game. And they were in a battle that year with Oakland, of course. And uh, and uh, that was the fourteenth of July, and the the Olympics in Barcelona started the twenty third or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe the twenty fifth. So I left like a week later for Barcelona for the Olympics, and this is the pre-internet days, and I that was like my, it, and it was the only way you found out how the twins came out basically was, uh, I guess maybe you could look at the wire. I don't know, but you know I was getting working these long days and 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 not able to follow it, so. It, Took me about three days to find out they got swept by Oakland and were going in the tank. And this guy, nobody'd ever heard of, hit a home run. But I was there. I came, I came back. Yep. Like a month after that All Star game, and it was like a train wreck. And I've talked to Kelly about it, and he says that you know all those losing years he had that that was the biggest disappointment of his managerial career to the point. He contemplated quitting because he thought that he didn't get out of that team what he should have gotten out of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I was, never knew that. He wow. Was depressed. He I was mean, that depressed. was a really good team that completely collapsed. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to him about, uh, you know, not I don't never never wrote a piece. It was just BSing. But he he's uh, you know I said what what the hell happened? I said I was in the Olympics. I came back, and he said he he was. He gets he gets depressed in a hurry about that one because uh, you know he he didn't mind losing when he had no chance, but when he thought that uh, he felt like they could go back to back and uh, just I you know just they hit the wall. I don't know what happened to him. I remember in June of that year, ninety two, Pat thinking that that was easily the best Twins team I had seen in my lifetime up to that point. And yeah, they that Eric Fox game after that, it was like they let the air out of them completely. And of course, they basically <laughs> they the rest of the nineties never I mean, rebounded. They, really, they still won what eighty eight or yeah, they were good. They, they were really I good. Mean, they still won, but they were, you know, they were a team that looked like at the All Star break they're going to win high nineties because they were rolling. Mm-hmm. They were just, you know, they were they were just. And you go back, I think they were seven and eleven or something, and then at the All Star break they were sixty five and. 39 or some damn thing, 26 over or something like that. Yep. Yeah, that was a good team, man. That was uh, kind of a, kind of a, it, it, you know what they remind me of? The, the of course, that the, the 70 team uh, finished and they won the division and they won the division easy. Mm-hmm. But when you look back at, like, if you go back in Twins history, everybody remembers the Billy Martin team, right? 69, yep. got fired, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next year's team won one more game. You look up that team, they ended up getting swept by the Orioles just like the, 60, the 69 team did. You look up that 70 team, wow. Uh, Jim Perry won the Cy Young. And, I mean, it was uh, it was a hell of a team, that one, too, that didn't, didn't get to the finish line, you know. All right, sir. Final thoughts? Uh, uh, final thoughts. Uh, do you believe that we're going to be playing baseball on July 1st as 
as veteran reporter Trevor <laughs> Plouffe has reported. Uh, the I was telling uh, Declan that uh, there's a story today on a farm. Was it a guy who used to play for the a young guy, uh, a Latin kid who played for Oakland, was it? I think. Uh, I don't know. I saw Bob Geitengale's tweet on it. He died from the virus. Kid that. Yeah, uh, I saw a couple of days ago. And he's in what? His twenties. Yep. Yeah, that might delay things. A little yeah, bit. I don't think we're playing July first. I think it's a nice thought, and uh, nice thought, we certainly yeah. need nice thoughts right now. But I think the odds of us playing on July first are probably very small. But uh, you know, that's probably the they've gone through so many concepts now that uh, yep. I, I don't know if uh, you know if if you want to read the pessimistic stuff. Uh, what is the if it's going to be worse in the fall? What's the object of anybody trying to do anything, you know? Yep, it's unfortunate, but you're right. All right. All right. Well, pray for our construction workers because nobody cares that there's five. Fix those roads, man. Fix those roads. Just don't go play horse. (laughs) Don't be a 18 year old kid playing horse. Jacob Fry doesn't want you to do that. All right. Talk to you. Talk to you. Goodbye. (laughs)